0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting Bluehost.com. That's Bluehost.com. The Art History Babes.
1: Art History Babe Briefs.
0: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Natalie. And we are the Art History Babes. We have a quick little baby episode for you this week, and this one might be particularly quick because, in case you missed it, we're writing a book. We are, and we're
1: so scattered and stressed out that I literally just said that this was for our patrons, (laughs) even though Corey talked and I talked about how it's a baby episode. So, you know, things are tough right now. My mind is basically a bowl of soup.
0: Um... (laughs) Speaking of that, I am literally recording this episode via candlelight because I was uh, babysitting all day and they're wonderful, but kids wear you out. And it's been a long week trying to write a book and trying to get everything done. And just like it, just like Natalie said, trying to keep it even all organized has been a lot. So so I'm trying to like trying to find a little a little bit of zen as we continue to power through and uh, make content for all you lovely listeners. Yeah, so have grace with us.
1: Um, if you feel like doing so, become a patron. There are many benefits, like a backlog of episodes, since we are kind of like sparse right now <laughs> as far as posting. Yeah. Because, you know, guys,
0: things are busy. Books are being written. I would love y'all so much if you became patrons. Like the amount of gratitude, the amount of good vibes I would send out into the universe on your behalf. Man, and it'll make
1: the book that much better. Like every little ounce of support that we get right now is just going into making this book better. So if you're planning on buying it anyway, because you've been charmed by us and you just love us, then (laughs) make the book
0: better. By supporting us any way you can, exactly and that and that goes for love of any kind. we got this crazy, sweet email last night that mm. was just like the most beautiful little like charge that we needed, yeah, and so stuff like that, we love the money, we appreciate the money, um I'd be lying if I said we didn't need the money, we definitely need the money, but those emails do just as much they at least they give us that energy and that desire to keep Mm -hmm. pushing on so like those help too so do five-star reviews oh yeah reviews like and then that tangentially gets us money (laughs) so that's a way to make other people give us money exactly sharing (laughs) us sharing us with people that helps i mean Mm -hmm. there's so many ways that you can like show your support if you know if you can't become a patron and we really do appreciate all of them yeah just like being totally raw and honest with you guys right now we're doing a lot of things we're trying to keep the content rolling out we're writing this book we're planning our new york city extravaganza in december which if you haven't heard is going to be an amazing trip we're going to go to New York City, we're going to go to art museums, we're going to do all sorts of fun New York City activities and you are invited to come along and we'd love to see you there. We want you there. Yeah, we want you there and we want, especially because we're writing this book right now and by the time that trip comes along, we'll be done writing the book so it'll be like so much fun. Oh my God, we'll be so fun. <laughs> we'll be so fun, guys. We'll be ready to have fun like you've never seen. Exactly. We're going to be in that, we're essentially going to be, if you've been with us for a while, we're essentially going to be in that same moment We were in post-grad thesis when we went to Europe and we just like did it up for two weeks. Like but we got to condense it down to a few nights. So even more fun, (laughs) more fun per square minute. If you can make it happen, if you want to make it happen, please join us. Head to likemindstravel.com. We'll have a link for you in the description. Likemindstravel.com and join us in New York City in the winter it'll be a winter wonderland and it'll be so much fun i'm really
1: excited to see new york so you guys should want to see new york with me (laughs) just natalie though (laughs) i've never seen it so it's kind of about me
0: (laughs) this whole trip's about natalie (laughs) i didn't want to say it but we all know it's true One last thing before we we hop into this quick little baby episode. Make sure to check out artandobject.com. They are our partners. It's a great website full of art historical information, contemporary art news, art podcasts, really cool stuff. If you haven't, that's artandobject.com. So check them out as well. Go check them out. Okay, so I don't even know if we've, Said what this episode is about yet, but it's about the Taj Mahal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Better late than never. We're doing an art history baby on the Taj Mahal. It's one of the nine wonders of the world. Eight. How many wonders of the world are there?
0: <laughs> I think it's seven. I think it's that seven right. wonders of the world. I'm looking it up. Seven wonders of the ancient world. Oh, and then we upgraded it for the modern world? Yeah, and then there's a modern world. You guys, it's a wonder. It's one of the new seven wonders of the world. Oh. So the new seven wonders of the world are Great Wall of China, the Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro, Machu Picchu in Peru. We've done an episode on Machu Picchu. Chichen Itza in the Yucatan Peninsula, the Roman Colosseum, and the Taj Mahal, which we are talking about today. So that is the current... Seven Wonders of the World, and then there are seven more wonders of the modern world, which include the Golden Gate Bridge. That's crazy.
1: Have I told you guys that I thought my stepdad built that until I was in, like, fourth grade?
0: (laughs) You've told me, but if you want to tell the
1: listeners, go for it. It's not my proudest moment, but... I had a lot of confidence in adults as a kid, so I believed pretty much anything <laughs> that anyone said. And just so you don't think that, like, my parents are jerks who lied to me, I asked and my mom just didn't have the heart to tell her three-year-old that her stepdad did not help build the bridge that she was so amazed by. So,
0: <laughs> Aww, so cute. <laughs> it's so cute.
1: But very embarrassing when I learned about California history.
0: <laughs> did you, like, try to defend it in your, like, you know, sixth grade California history class I think I like said it offhand to like a friend
1: and then we got to the timeline and then I realized Dan wasn't like 150 years old or however (laughs) old he would have to be (laughs) he was like 38 (laughs) the math just wasn't adding up I wasn't that bad at math so I did figure it out (laughs) that's
0: amazing okay Taj Mahal that's what we're talking about today all right Natalie take it away The Mughal Empire was comprised
1: of Muslim rulers who controlled part of India for approximately 200 years. In 1526, Babur took over a region in India and officially began the Mughal reign. So Mughal in Persian or Arabic means Mongols
0: and Babur was the descendant of the last Mongol ruler. Real quickly, I just want to refer you all to Crash Course History with John Green on YouTube. It's like PBS produced. If you haven't watched the series, you should really watch the entire series because they're wonderful. Mm -hmm. The Crash Course History and the Crash Course Philosophy are my two favorite series. But they have this reoccurring reference in Crash Course History where they say, wait for it, the Mongols. Because the Mongols were the exception to the rule really throughout history on like many many occasions but back to you Natalie
1: are we taking the stance at the art history babes that the mongols were the original avant-garde
0: oh my god <laughs> now you're like yeah that's like a whole new <laughs> a whole new level i mean obviously this is in reference to like earlier civilization and like war tactics and stuff so the avant-garde looked a little different yeah was it the art of war like that's a thing yeah <laughs> I know who wrote that. Who did know, write Robert, that? that.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I read the prince. I know I know who
0: wrote the prince. <laughs> okay, so uh just for everyone's edification, The Art of War was written by Sun Tzu. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Back to the Mughal Empire. So the Mughal Empire
1: consolidated Muslim rule across India. They ruled a country that was largely inhabited by Hindus, but managed well early in the reign, specifically during Akbar's rule. Traditionally, Akbar is considered the emperor that made the Mughal Empire great for support and spread of religious tolerance. Alternatively, his grandson, Aurangzeb gets the blame for implementing more strict Islamic rules and essentially setting up the empire's eventual decline. And somewhere in between both of them, Shah Jahan becomes emperor. And I'm going to send it over to Kor to talk about Shah Jahan in a second. But really quickly... Did you watch the
0: Crash Course on Taj Mahal? I have at some point. I didn't recently. I was going to
1: say they he kind of gets into this idea that we like to align history with our current ideology and we want to find patterns and things that make sense to us based on where we're at now, which we've talked about in the podcast like in terms of not, you know, imposing our views on historical figures, people, and kind of having period eye in that way that we understand or like period thought, I guess that would be where you're like understanding where a person was in time. But he gets into like people like to make Akbar the hero for being tolerant and Arnzeb the villain for being intolerant but he also points out that might not have had anything to do with why the Mughal empire fell and maybe like a warning not to moralize it in a way Mm -hmm. because we tend to do that and want to be like see like religious tolerance would have saved the Mughal empire and I guess he was just warning against doing that which I thought was an important note that there were a lot of other things that played into it and maybe that's a little bit of an oversimplification and we're talking about the taj mahal so i'm not going to you know get into all the nuances of that but it's just something to think about
0: yeah i mean i i think we love to do the good versus evil argument mm-hmm. the fact that like the marvel movies are so popular right now is like proof that people want a good guy and a bad guy you want a hero you want a villain you want it you just want it clean You know, Mm -hmm. this guy was right. This guy was wrong. And you want history to fit into a neat black and white diagram. Exactly. And it's like, man, that's just like not the way it works the Mm -mm. vast majority of the time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm not even going to claim to know anything about the history of that particular situation because I do not but I, yeah, I obviously think that's an important point to make that the way history is written is often according to a contemporary narrative. And it's important to kind of think about that and challenge that when we can. Mm-hmm. Shah Jahan Taj Mahal, the fifth Mughal emperor was Shah Jahan, Persian for king of the world. And he reigned from 1628 to 1658. As previously stated, he was the fifth Mughal ruler after Babur, Humayun, Akbar, and Jahangir. His reign has been referred to as the Golden Age of Mughals. In that time, he built a mausoleum in the city of Agra, which has been arguably the most famous Islamic building in India. Should we take a break? Let's take a break. We have returned. Art History
1: Baby on the Taj Mahal. All right. So... Empress Arjuman Banu Begum was commonly referred to as Mumtaz Mahal, meaning Beloved Ornament of the Palace. She was promised to wed Shah Jahan when she was 14 years old, and they married five years later. She lived a short life, passing away in 1631, only three years after her husband came into power. She died due to complications while giving birth to her 14th child, people, 14 kids.
0: That's too many kids for one womb. Yeah. I mean, shout out. Just got to give props to my grandma who had uh, 10. (sighs) You told me that. And I think I like almost fell down. Yeah. Having kids in the double digits. It's crazy. But if uh, without it, I probably wouldn't exist. So uh, props to grandma. Thank you.
1: This one goes out to grandma. So after her death, the emperor began planning the Taj Mahal to act as a mausoleum for his beloved empress and later himself, of course. So there's kind of speculation about how much this had to do with her versus being for him. It's both, I guess. But she occupies the main tomb with Shah Jahan's tomb right by her side. And both are cenotaphs, meaning they're just for display and they don't hold the actual remains. Those remains are buried in a crypt underground in a different part of the complex.
0: That's an interesting term. I've never heard that term before, cenotaph. I know. I said
1: it like I like know it really well, but I hadn't either.
0: <laughs> just playing it off. The principal mausoleum. The image that comes to mind when you think of the Taj Mahal is the principal mausoleum. The Taj Mahal is just one building on the Taj complex. It's comprised of a square structure surrounded by four minarets. And I actually have a fun fact about those minarets later on. So intrigue. Mm, Stick around. Um, and it is covered in paradise imagery. The building sits atop a raised platform and is made of shining white marble, evoking a sense of awe and wonder from visitors. To add to this sense of harmony and balance, the Taj Mahal is exactly as tall as it is wide, which is pretty dope. I don't know why, but I just found that fact really, really cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's not that common in right? architecture. So it is cool. I had the same thing. It's
0: like super symmetrical. Exactly as tall as it is wide. That's really interesting. And the height of the dome is the same as the height of the arched facade. Up close, the marble is inlaid with precious stones in a technique called Pietradora. The stones used include jade, lapis, yellow amber, carnelian, jasper, amethyst, agate, Heliotrope, and Green Barrel for all of you crystal buffs out there.
1: I mean, we definitely have some crystal buffs listening, let's be real.
0: <laughs> I mean, I wish I was more of one. I wish I knew more about crystals, but I hope we have some crystal. You're like a connoisseur, though. I got a handful. I,
1: don't, I mean, maybe not expert, but like, you you know your stuff. You're not foreign to a crystal <laughs> shop. <laughs>
0: I I appreciate that <laughs> no stranger to a crystal shop. I don't know. <laughs> I you know, I guess I know a thing or two. I wish I knew more though. so if any any of our listeners are learned in the uh, crystal arts hit us up, yeah, we're ready to learn. All right, so the
1: Taj Mahal sits at the end of a charba complete with a reflecting pool, flowers and fruit trees. A charba is a garden split into quadrants representing the four gardens of paradise as described in the Quran. So there are two identical structures that are built on either side of the Taj Mahal. And to the left, we have a mosque, which, you know, is normal. And then on the right, we have what's called a javab. Which translates to an answer or an echo, and the sole purpose of this building is to mirror the mosque and to restore symmetry. So they built an entire fake mosque (laughs) just to have something balance the actual mosque on the other side, which, like, that is dedication. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. I think that maybe, well, we'll get to it later. I don't want to give away too much, but maybe it was a little bit excessive for cost, but pretty cool. They also could have just made a second mosque. Would have been a little more practical.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but when you're, I don't know, when you're building... When you're building a structure as vast and extravagant as the Taj Mahal, practicality is not a main concern. On the top of your list. Yeah, I mean, it's the same with, like, Gothic cathedrals. Like, it, it it's not meant to be practical, I don't think.
1: <laughs> yeah, I and I'm not trying to shame it at all because I genuinely appreciate the dedication of building an entire building to scale. <laughs> it reminds me of, like, that episode of Arrested Development you know when they're like going into the houses on the cul-de-sac and then they're like fake
0: oh yeah yeah
1: <laughs> anyway or i think i'm getting that wrong maybe it's just like one house but there's a fake house there's something fake it's like a fake house it's like arrested development it's just <laughs> like that guys if you take anything away from this episode
0: <laughs> the exact same thing <laughs>
1: Because Mughal builders were so intent on balance, it's somewhat surprising that the Taj Mahal isn't in the center of the compound, but instead at the end. So generally in these types of like mausoleum complexes, the actual mausoleum would be at the center of the garden. So the four corners would be on either side and not like the Taj Mahal, where it's at the very end. So archaeologists agreed, and recently they began to excavate the area behind the main building of the Taj Mahal. And what they found is evidence of another garden, exactly the size of the one in front, so it would make the Taj Mahal at the center of this compound. And this makes a lot more sense considering all of the prior Mughal compounds sat in the center of their garden so it at some point was twice the size that it is now which is pretty incredible because it's not a small complex
0: so similar to what we um, talked about in our forbidden city episode there is a national geographic documentary on the Taj Mahal called secrets of the Taj Mahal Which is, of course, a very sexy title, trying to lure you into learning history, basically. Mm -hmm. But it's a good documentary. It's on YouTube. You can watch the whole thing. I would suggest checking it out as well. And then there was just a couple of fun little tidbits I learned from it that I wanted to discuss. First, optical illusions. So with something of this scale, it's really interesting how the builders and designers chose to play with optical illusion. The main gate as you walk towards the Taj Mahal, the main gate frames the actual structure. So like, once again, think your typical image of the Taj Mahal that you see. There's a main gate that actually like frames that as you're walking in from from quite far away. And because of the main gate, it creates this optical illusion that makes the structure get smaller as you get closer to it. And it looks bigger as you walk away. Wow. Which is kind of just a neat, trippy thing. According to the documentary, the reasoning behind that is it gets bigger as you walk away. So it's like you're taking the Taj Mahal with you as you leave. That's deep. Right? It's deep. So that's one optical illusion. And then the second one, I kind of gave you a little teaser earlier. The minarets, the four minarets outside of the structure, actually lean slightly outwards. And they do this in order to provide the illusion of being upright. If they were actually completely vertical, then from the main gate, it would look to the viewer as though they were leaning inwards. They are leaning outwards to create the illusion that they are vertical. Man, that's cool optics man it's nuts like the tricks our eyes play on us are crazy
1: it amazes me too that architects had the foresight you know what i mean like and this isn't the only time that i've learned about a building doing something to this effect but it's always so interesting to me because this kind of stuff doesn't come naturally So it's just amazing, like that you can know right when planning.
0: Yeah, that is one hundred percent. Like if I was building a building, I feel I would never think of that. I would I would build the whole friggin Taj Mahal, and then I'd be like, ah, shoot. Do you
1: think that's what happened with the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Like someone like (laughs) us tried to build it. (laughs) They're just like, well. Good enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That'll do. I'm sure people will travel from around the world and take goofy pictures with it.
1: (laughs) <laughs> pretend like they're leaning on our building. Exactly.
0: Oh, they could have never imagined. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Your brain has to be like working on another level, I feel like to um yeah, to exactly, to have the foresight to think about something like that for sure. Another thing that's just really interesting about the Taj Mahal is that the dome, the main dome, is made out of stone, which is considerably more difficult than building a dome out of more contemporary materials. Mm-hmm. So essentially they had to use like mad science and math to make this dome possible. It was not an easy feat at all. And it's one of the most quintessential domes. Like it's it's beautiful, it's clean, it's huge. And we just don't really think anything of it. But the amount of engineering that had to go into making that possible is really Really incredible. It definitely is. And this would be a good time to bring up another
1: side note about the building of the Taj Mahal, which is that it reportedly took all of the revenue that was originally allocated for 30 villages. Oh. So (laughs) while we are appreciating all of the marvels and the uncut corners, they did come at a cost, just not to the building. To citizens of the mughal empire so while we appreciate the beauty we should also take a moment for those villages which t- took a hit
0: the the working folk man the working class once again taking the brunt we all get to ooh and ah over this beautiful thing which is you know amazing and great but it's like at what cost you know
1: literally comes at a very high cost. And that is the food for many, many people. So while there is definitely something to be said for looking back on these empires and civilizations and the amazing things that they were able to do with art and architecture, like it came at a very tangible cost. (laughs)
0: Like what good is art if we're not taking care of people too? We gotta be, I think, conscious yeah. Conscious art creators. That's what we want here at the Art History Babes.
1: Yeah, let's hope that in the last, ooh, let's do math, 6, 17, 18, 18, 20, 21. <laughs> In the last 520 or so years, we have learned that people should come before structures and material items. Let's hope.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because art should be an expression of humanity, but I don't think it needs to be at the cost of humanity, you know? No, 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 no. Um, But yes, also to reiterate, it's not like the Taj Mahal is the only example of this. Like there's examples of this Mm -hmm. in every culture, everywhere, all Mm. over history, and the Europeans were really good at it, too, like building big structures at at the cost of We should We should try and dig
1: up that information more, like exactly what the cost relative to the time period. Oh, yeah.
0: That could be really interesting. Totally. I mean, the first thing that pops into my head is like French Revolution. You know, you had a lot of people living these lavish, Mm -hmm. beautiful life styles and you had a ton of people starving. And I was like, yo, this ain't right. You know, like <laughs> it's an issue we run into a lot as humans. But anyways, one last little bit I I wanted to chat about is, is love because the Taj Mahal is widely considered to be a symbol of love. And at this time, the idea of a personal romantic love was a very European Western concept. And Indian culture, particularly at this time, didn't really it it celebrated love for God, love for deities, love for family, love for any number of things, but not really this like personal romantic love wasn't Mm -hmm. widely celebrated culturally. But Shah Jahan felt romantic love and boy did he want everyone to know about it and so the Taj Mahal is widely considered to be this just giant vast elaborate testament to the eternal power of love and you know that's real cute. It is and I was really hoping you were going to say that the Taj Mahal is widely considered
1: a big boom box that <laughs> Shah Jahan is holding over his head <laughs>
0: I mean, that's better. (laughs) I love that. Just a big boombox. I obviously am glad we we kind of touched on some of the bigger societal political issues because I think that is just infinitely important. But the romantic in me, obviously, is like, oh, but he just was Mm. in love. And like there's some part of me that feels all gooey about that you know
1: yeah no I I respect that and I do think that it's it like appears that he did have a lot of love for Mumtaz Mahal I also want to mention because I don't think I did when I was talking about her and I meant to she is one of many wives she was reportedly the favorite but You know, I don't want to skip over that fact that the Mughals did have multiple wives. So, you know, like we talked about in our Forbidden City episode, there are politics and things that come with that. It's romantic love structured a little bit differently than we tend to think about it 21st century conventionally, blah, 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 blah. Sorry to like bring that up in the middle of our love fest, but I just realized I didn't talk about it and it kind of is... Important. No, it is important. Like, I'm not trying to negate their love for that. Like, he was largely considered to be, like, the romantic of the Mughal Empire. Like, that is very much his identity. And it's expressed in this building. I mean, it's for her. And while you could argue that it's also for him, it's kind of a testament of their love story in a way. And... There is some something beautiful about that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like all I know is that a lot of historians have talked about how this was a example of romantic love which was not the norm. It mm-hmm. was just not the norm at the time in that culture. And that stands for something that can you imagine someone loving you so much that they like went to the trouble to build this crazy structure that ended up being one of the seven wonders of the world. Like that's intense. And it's like, I mean, it's undeniably
1: a gorgeous piece of architecture. Like it is so striking and has been a favorite of mine since I was a kid, long before I understood anything about it. Back when, uh, what was her name? Carmen San Diego was, uh, taking me around the world. (laughs) via. (laughs) Windows games. (laughs) Where in
0: the world is?
1: (laughs) I just like lost half our listeners. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But the other half are like, yes,
0: come on. If you don't know Carmen Sandiego, you got to look that shiz up right now. (laughs)
1: Look it up right now. But also, like, I'm going to really quickly before we sign off, since I felt like I was kind of playing devil's advocate with the romance story, I'll flip script for a second there's a lot of evidence to point toward the Taj Mahal's paradise imagery not only being imagery of paradise but specifically referring to the apocalypse and in the Quran the apocalypse is very similar in the way it goes down to that in in the Christian faith so there's a lot to suggest that the whole compound is kind of representative of the story of the apocalypse and like the second coming. And so that's just a whole new level too, because if that's what he's kind of like evoking and calling in, then he's already trying to jump forward to another point in time where they will be like reunited, Yeah, which is
0: like next level romantic. (laughs) Exactly. Like the, the eternal love man. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. So you could, you could come at this from any, number of angles depending on your particular, I guess, sensibilities, whether or not you're a romantic, whether you're more politically critical. There's there's a lot here. There's so much here. And as I said, neither one of us are um, experts on Indian art. I'm sure we have plenty of listeners that have like more insight to this that we would love to hear because there's just so much, you know, By definition, like
1: what an incredible piece of art to kind of evoke all those different things this many years later. Like it's it's pretty remarkable that
0: we can draw so much from a piece of architecture. I think that's real cool. I think that's real cool, too. And this baby that was going to be like 15 minutes long is now like 45 minutes long. Don't (laughs) even tell me. Just, (laughs) Just don't even tell me. Just don't say it. It's okay. There's a whole section
1: of something I said in there that I'm going to cut out. So that's like at least five minutes.
0: (laughs) You know, this is what happens on this podcast. If you've listened to us, we try to rein it in, but we just got things to say, guys. Like, that's just how it goes. And we were backed up. It's been a while since we've recorded. So (laughs) clearly we had some stuff to get out. I mean, hopefully you enjoyed the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts, comments, input. And yeah, another incredible piece of art, piece of architecture to think about historically, contemporarily. Also, it's uh, on your AP Art History exam if you're studying for that. So, So study it. Yeah. So study it. (laughs) But thank you guys for listening. Thanks for hanging in there. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Drugs are bad,
1: kids. Um... (laughs) Literally the most unnatural sentence I've ever heard you say.